today, we're going to be in uh, Psalm 73. I've asked Will Doggett to come on up and uh, share our scripture for today. This is about dead here, so. We're in Psalm 73, the Psalm of Asherah. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their, pe- therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakens. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and arrogant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet, I am always with you. You hold me up. You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into your glory. Whom whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Thank you, Will. Lord, we um, come into this powerful psalm, and we want you to touch our hearts with it. Guide us, O Lord, during this time. Feed us with your word from the manna that comes from heaven. I pray that you would grant your grace and your peace to me, your servant, as I speak your word. May the meditations of my heart and words of my lips, may they be pleasing in your sight, a rock and redeemer. 
all for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. So I have a question for you. It's a, it's a real question. It's going to sound rhetorical, but it's not a rhetorical. So it's not rhetorical, so please answer. With a show of hands, is there anyone here who has a vibrant prayer life right now with few challenges? Okay, one, two, okay, got a couple. Well, we praise God for what he's doing in your life. Those who raise your hands, we praise you for the grace that he has been giving to you in your vibrant prayer life. We celebrate that with you today. I will say, however, this sermon is for those who struggle in prayer. Um, Even those who raised your hands, there's something to be heard in this for you. Because in actuality, the only person who ever had a perfect prayer life was the Lord Jesus Christ, right? When when he walked on this earth and even now. So the heart of this is really for those who struggle in their prayer lives. Uh, Prayer is hard. And few of us feel like we have a handle on it. Uh, and many of us feel like prayer is just boring and way too difficult. Some have even given up totally on their prayer life. But I would venture to say that all of us would love to have a prayer life characterized by intimacy with God. Amen? So cheer up today, saints. A vibrant prayer life is possible because God desires to be in an intimate relationship with you. Isn't that great news? Right from the beginning, allow me to give credit where where credit is due. My sermon is heavily influenced by John Piper's book, Desiring God, which is heavily influenced by the works of C.S. Lewis. So we give them proper credit. Uh, We've heard Psalm 73 read. My basic outline for the day, which you can find on the back of the bulletin, is point number one, our troubles in prayer. Point number two, our hope in prayer. And then point number three, our desires in prayer. I won't be able to go through all this psalm. It's, it's quite lengthy, so I'll be pulling out verses um, and going over them and sharing them. My first point, our troubles in prayer. But as for me, look at verses two through, three, uh, 2 through 3. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The immediate trouble the writer of this psalm, Asaph, is having is with envy. He takes his eyes off the Lord and he puts them on the wicked. He starts looking at their lives and he starts to compare their lives to his own. And he is on the losing side of that comparison. In his mind, the wicked had no struggles. They are rich. Their bodies are healthy and vibrant. They're proud, arrogant, callous, and they oppressed others. And the worst part of it is they mock God, and they don't think he's going to do anything about it. It doesn't seem like he does. Look at verse 12 for a summary of their lives. This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Now, compare that to the summary Asaph gives of his own life in verses 13 through 14. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. And I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. So, what side of the comparison do you want to be on? What, what kind of life do you want? Carefree and always gathering wealth? Or afflictions and punishments?
punishments all day long. Seems like an obvious, uh, obvious choice. You know, this psalm is so helpful to the challenges that we face in our prayer life. Many of us, like Asaph, we get off track right in the beginning, the moment we decide to pray to our Heavenly Father. To illustrate this, I'll give you a glimpse into my prayer life. I'll give you a glimpse into 35 years of my prayer life. Because it goes something like this. I wake up, I decide to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. So far, so good, right? Then a thought pops into my brain. Remember when that guy Dave said to you that he doesn't trust you anymore because of that business deal you did with him that went sour? Remember how he judged you and broke off all contact with you? That was an ignorant thing for him to do. Well, you know, but I did, I did send some in that business deal, come to think of it. Oh, I'm sorry, Lord. I got distracted from you. What was I saying? Oh, yes. Uh, thank you for this day. Lord Jesus, I praise you for the great love you have for your people and your amazing sacrifice for us. You know, come to think of it, Dave has a way, way better life than I do. He's a well-respected Christian pastor. Everyone I know praises him all the time. Isn't Dave a great guy? I think he's the best. His last sermon, it transformed my life. Yeah, right. But no one knows the sins he committed in our business deal. Yeah, I sinned, but so did he. His min- but his ministry is great. And what about my ministry? I have people say, you know, they like the new vision statement, but they start grumbling about the new motto. And last time I preached, people said, thanks, Pastor Tim, that was nice. But no one said they were transformed by it. So I'll just stop right there. Get the point? There are many troubles in prayer. A second point, our hope in prayer. At first glance, I'm not sure the initial hope in this prayer comes easily to our mind. The first hope in this psalm is that the psalm is actually praying to God about his problems. He's being totally honest. Go back to the example of my prayer. I started complaining about Dave in my prayer, and then I concluded that Dave popping up into my mind was a distraction. I should be thinking about God and praying to him. And this, that notion of distraction in prayer represents the struggle I've been having in my prayer life for 35 years. I've been playing these type of head games in, in my prayer life for as long as I've been a Christian. That is, until I read a prayer that God graciously gave to me by St. Ignatius. Here's a portion of it. Lord, direct everything that is happening in my mind and heart during this time of prayer all of my moods and feelings, my memories and imaginings. Direct them to your greater glory, praise, and service, and to my growth in the Spirit. Amen. So, I memorized that prayer, and I started to use it every day. And God used it to show me that my distractions in prayer are actually the prayer itself. Again, the example of Dave popping into my mind in prayer. I used to think that that thought was a distraction. Now I know what God was actually bringing that thought to my mind. He was showing me something that was in my heart, namely the fact that I never repented of the sin that I committed against Dave in that business deal. And I never apparently forgave Dave for the sin that he committed against me. 
Apparently, I also have to regularly repent of not loving people well in this congregation. And if people do grumble about something that I do, or if they grumble about the motto, then I need to forgive them. And all of these things the Lord is showing to me in prayer. And I see them for years and years as a distraction. They're not a distraction. They're the actual prayer itself. Now, by the way, that, the thing about Dave and about the motto, some of that is true, some of it is fiction. So don't try to sort through which one of you were complaining about the motto or anything like that. Uh, in fact, I don't think anybody has complained about the motto yet. Yet. Can you see how wonderful this truth is? God is leading my prayer. And he's leading your prayer as well. Just like he led Asaph in Psalm 73. It's glorious and full of hope. The second hopeful thing in this prayer is verses 16 through 17. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Asaph's envy was giving him a false view of God and life until he enters the sanctuary of God. Asaph was a family from a family of temple musicians in the time of King David. So when he, and you can read about him in the book of Chronicles. So in this psalm, when he talks about the sanctuary, it's, it's the literal temple of the Lord. For us, these verses mean something like coming into the presence of God in prayer and worship. Asaph was envious of the wicked until he entered God's presence and saw that they were doomed for destruction. God spoke to Asaph and he revealed that he was the sovereign Lord over all things. The wicked may flourish for a season and God may allow it, but ultimately they are doomed. And this gives Asaph immediate perspective hope, and peace. Before being reminded of all these things, Asaph describes himself as senseless and ignorant, a brute beast before God. He is like some type of animal, barely human. So what is the hope for all of us in this? How often do you feel like an animal before the Lord, always lusting after the things of the world? Our hope is that God knows our hearts, even the worst part of our hearts, and still accepts us into his presence because of Jesus Christ, our new temple, the one who represents the full presence of God with us. Isn't that wonderful? Now let's get to the good stuff, the meat of the sermon, our desires. Point number three, our desires in prayer. Verses 23 through 26, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Whom have I in heaven but you, O Lord? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Honestly speaking, which one of us can say that earth has nothing I desire besides God? I know I can. There are way too many things in this earth that attract my heart more than God 
TV, video games, a good beer, movies, music, friends, my family. Should I keep on going? Good food at good restaurants, the Game of Thrones, my career, books, New Life Church, the praise of men and women, etc., etc., etc. At this point, I want to share my favorite quote from C.S. Lewis. I shared it before, but it is so helpful to understand our desires in prayer. It would seem, C.S. Lewis says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. You know, C.S. Lewis has a very clear understanding of what God through Scripture teaches us about our desires. Many of us think they are way too strong, but God thinks they are way too weak. And that might seem hopeless at first, but it, it is actually the key that unlocks the door of intimacy with God in prayer. I'll explain it like this. Good prayer is like really good sex. Uh-oh. Did he say it? I did. I'll say it again. Good prayer is like really good sex. Now, if you're single, and hopefully not engaged in sex outside of marriage, good prayer is like the best food that you've ever eaten. I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Italian food, so I'll use the menu at Victor Cafe as an example. And if you've never been there... It's the restaurant that's actually depicted in the last couple of movies, the Rocky movies, including the last one, Creed. I think they call it Adrian's. That's actually, actually Victor Cafe down, down in South Philly. So right from the menu, we'll start with some antipasto. Steamed Prince Edward Island mussels, sautéed in white wine, lemon, butter, and garlic. And as for an entree cannellini, Fresh pasta, stuffed with ricotta, spinach and veal, served with marinara and bechamela. I'll choose a marinara, I think. And for wine, let's see, we'll go with a, a red, a nice Sangiovese. It's, it's really a great choice because it's not too heavy, and it has this trademark acidity that cuts nicely through the dish. As you can tell, I am into desire. And so is God, by the way. You have to remember that when it comes to your prayer life. God wants more desire from you, not less. I think this is the thing that trips us up as Christians the most, especially in America. We think pleasure is for the world, but not for us in the church. TV and movies and social media would make you think that unbelievers are the ones having all the fun and church people are boring. It is not true. Well, there are some boring Christians. But they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. Fifteen years ago, Amy and I were struggling in our marriage, particularly in, an area, in the area of sex and intimacy. Our Christian counselor told Amy, and she has given me permission to, uh, to share this, the bedroom is a refuge and a playground. 
bedroom is a refuge and a playground, meaning your marriage is a safe place that you can both share your burdens and have fun together. And ever since our counselor said that, we've been having a lot of fun. We're meant to. We're married before the Lord. Now, with all that said, the sex I have or the food I eat can remote, cannot remotely compare to the intimacy that I have with God in prayer. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm not here to say that I'm rocketed in my prayer life each and every day. But there have been these few moments in my life when I entered into the heavenly temple of our Lord in prayer, and he rocked my world. Absolutely blew the doors off. And by the way, one of them just happened a couple weeks ago when I was walking through Lorimar Park, and the God ignited my heart and gave me what he wanted me, I think what he wanted me to share with you today in this sermon. And in the words of our very own uh, poet, Jim Trott, and suddenly, somehow I know, the bride will be with child at the wedding of the Lamb, as the lowest, as I, the lowest of the sinners, am knocked up by I am. In those kind of moments when God knocks me up with his spirit, I can honestly say, Lord, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. Now maybe you don't have that type of desire in your prayer life, and it's why you consider God and prayer so boring. That's okay. We've all been there. So what can we do? Well, at one level, nothing, because God is sovereign over your prayer life, your heart, and your emotions. You see, this is not about trying harder in your prayer life. How many of you have done that? I'm going to discipline myself in prayer so that I can have a better prayer life. It just doesn't work. Because God is the Lord of your emotions. This is not about trying harder. It's about putting ourselves before the Lord. And God chooses when to awaken your desires in prayer. Now, but if I just leave you there, I think you'll end up feeling very hopeless. So let me give you what I think. Let me give you some advice. The best advice I can give to you, if you're longing for uh, intimacy and prayer with the Lord, is to begin to pay attention to what in your life already awakens your desires. Those things are indicators of how God is already moving in your heart and how he is wooing you into passionate prayer. So let's say you're into the Game of Thrones. You like the adventure of it. Well, start letting God into your emotions about the Game of Thrones. Pray about it. Literally, pray about the Game of Thrones. For example... Remember season one? I won't talk about season six. Some people are still catching up. Remember the very first episode when Jamie Lannister pushed Bran Stark out the window in an effort to cover up, cover up his foul deeds? Now that was crazy. A great way to start the whole series, full of intrigue right from the beginning. But if you stop there and don't take those desires to God, then that is exactly what C.S. Lewis is talking about. You're being a half-hearted creature. Your desires are too weak because they're not taking you all the way to God, the only thing in heaven and on earth that can fully satisfy those desires. And by the way, who do you think gave George R.R. Martin the 
idea for Game of Thrones in the first place. It was God. So pray like this. Lord, you know that first episode of Game of Thrones, that was amazing. And I don't know how how you're going to do it, Lord, but please show me how you and your word and prayer are even better than the Game of Thrones. And then once you pray that prayer, remain curious about how God is going to answer that prayer. He will. He's going to answer that prayer. How do I know? Because he desires to have a, for you to have a vibrant prayer life full of intimacy with him. It will be waiting and being curious about God, how God will answer that prayer will be a lot like waiting for season seven to come out next year. And by the way, if you're not into the Game of Thrones, all you have to do is substitute how God, what God is stirring up in your desires. And if you need some help praying through those kind of desires, then please come talk with me. Talk to the elders. That would be a conversation I would really enjoy having. I'm here to help. Our desires in prayer ultimately take us to Jesus Christ, the only one with perfect intimacy in prayer before God the Father. Jesus also had troubles in prayer. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus sweat drops of blood because of his troubles in prayer. Unlike Asaph, Jesus never envied the wicked. Instead, he chose to take the sin of the wicked upon himself on the cross. He withstood the pride of the religious leaders who spit in his face. He endured the arrogance of those who screamed, crucify him. And he suffered the callous hearts of the Roman soldiers as they pierced his hand and feet with the nails of crucifixion. And he swallowed up all of those sins of the wicked so that we, his people, might know intimacy with God in all things, including prayer. Jesus is God's desire on display, our hope in prayer. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the desires of the heart that you have given to us. And ultimately, Lord, we know that we desire you. But often in prayer, we can't get those desires to you. They get cut short by our idolatry. Help us, Lord, we're often half-hearted creatures fooling around with the things of the world. We can't muster up our desires, our passions in prayer, but you can. And so we ask that you will. Do it, Lord, in your timing. Until then, Lord, help us to be expected in prayer. Help us to be curious about how you're going to do this. How are you going to turn our desires towards you? our Father in heaven. We know that you love us in Christ, and we want to say today that we love you as well. Lord, be glorified in our prayer life. We pray to you that you would receive all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll invite the prayer team up front as well as uh, the worship team. Come on up. I told you about that um, walk I took in Lorimar Park. This is the song that the Lord gave me. It was the song that was playing in my earbuds as I was walking in the park. I think this is a great song that um, 
really shows a heart of desire and prayer. So I'm going to encourage you to stand up. We're going to sing it together. The, the lyrics will come up. So stand up. Let's put our hearts before the Lord. There is a prayer team up here. If you want to, if you need prayer for anything, please come up. Take it all, take it all, my 